All right. Cool. Well, good morning again. Good to see you guys. Um, is it great to have the Fouts back here with us? Up front leading. It's uh, <clears throat> certainly special. And then also we want to uh, praise God for uh, Dean and Dick. They're both back here, healthy. Mm -hmm. So uh, again, I'm glad you guys are able to join us. And if you haven't met me before, my name is Jason Lively and I'm the youth pastor here. Uh, and so today we're going to be looking at Psalm 46. So I'll invite you to turn there and I'll, I'll talk for a while so you can turn there. I'll help you. Um, so let's get there. Psalm 46. And it's a, probably a, f a pretty familiar psalm, mainly because we sing a song that's based on it. And we even sang it today. Uh, which, thanks Matt, good call. Um, <laughs> and so the psalm centers around the idea of God as a refuge, and um, this is supposed to be a language of imagery here, and uh, so let me, let me draw you back to at least my youth. Uh, at some point in your, in your schooling, you probably had to learn about the Middle Ages, and for me, it was also, we had to go back over it in, in uh, music school, where they told us all about the music that was born out of the Middle Ages, uh, and so more importantly than the music, for me, was the things that were there in the Middle Ages, for, namely castles. As kids, we grew up playing uh, medieval war games. Age of Empires, I think, was the one. We still play it 20 years later, and I'm not sorry about it. Um, so there's a special appeal, something about that time, something about the, the things of it are intriguing, especially when you're a young lad, okay? And castles were the cream of the crop for me. I think they were very interesting. They looked cool, but also that's where all of the valuable things were kept, Right? Uh, and typically, uh, this is where the king, the ruler of this little uh, city-state nation thing would be uh, residing. And if he was really smart, he'd keep his queen there too. Uh, and if he wasn't, um, then, well, uh, yeah. So the castle <laughs> gives us a strong, uh, gives the king a strong military advantage, right? And, and it, it's, it's these massive stone walls, and it usually has an outer wall. And then inside the outer wall, as if that wasn't enough, there's usually a keep, which is a, st uh, a stone tower, probably taller than everything else. And if you're a history buff, it's also called a donjon. Um, and so in the event of an attack, you would put all of your valuables, put all the people that need protecting inside the keep, inside the outer wall, uh, until uh, it was safe again. And so the keep is, is the best form of a stronghold in and of its time. And so this psalm is going to communicate this idea of a refuge, of a stronghold here, uh, but it's going to communicate God as our refuge, God as our stronghold. And this is... Uh, both a physical and a spiritual reality, and, and we, we want to hold fast especially to the, physical, or the, the spiritual reality of it because that's where we get to bring Jesus into the picture. Uh, and so the psalm, if you, uh, if you have the little heading in your Bible, it's going to tell you it's attributed to the sons of Korah, and, and, and that, that's about all of the information that we get. Um, there's really not much more to say about it. Uh, but we get this, uh, this general psalm. There's not any you know, exigent circumstance that's causing it. It's a general psalm of confidence. It's used and applied generally uh, in a religious setting. And so even though that's a, it's a general psalm, the author is going to communicate to us in an artful fashion what it means to have God as a stronghold. And so, for you literary buffs out there, 
This is uh, organized as a palindrome, and a lot of psalms are actually organized this way. And uh, what I mean by a palindrome is, I mean, it's the same forward as it is backwards, but not literally in, in the form of words, but in the form of ideas here. Uh, think of like your Old and New Testament. Everything in the Old Testament leads up to Jesus, and everything in the New Testament points back to and instructs you about Jesus, right? So Jesus would be the center point of that. And then so we have this like arc that's going on. Uh, where's Anna? Anna, your name is a palindrome, the same forwards and backwards. Race car is another good one. Uh, but this is going to be an, a palindrome of ideas. We're going to have five and a half verses of, of, of a building of ideas, a building of logic, a center point right in the middle that tells us more about our God. And then at the, at the, the last five and a half verses, it's going to mirror those first five and a half verses. It's going to tell us the same truths about God, but in a different circumstance. And so what this does is it brings the center of that psalm, the center of that palindrome into focus. It's done with a purpose so that it points us to something. Okay? And so we're going to pick up, we're going to read the entire psalm, and then we're going to go back and put up, put up those pieces, put the pieces of the puzzle together, get the, get the palindrome so that we know what it's trying to communicate to us and what it's trying to tell us about our God. Okay? So let's read. We'll go verse 1 all the way through. It says this, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad in the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so maybe if you're just looking at that, you can start to put some of those pieces together for yourself. But we're going to kind of roll through this one together. Uh, and so this psalm is going to encourage both its reader and its, its singer, because it's a psalm. Uh, we sing and read them. Uh, and so it's going to instruct the people that are singing it. Remember, it's a general use, so it could be anybody, uh, that their God is, in fact, strong. He is present, and he's a refuge for his people. And this idea is present right from verse 1, right from the very beginning. Verse 1 states this plainly. And additionally, a God is our ever-present help. There's a plurality there. It's not just the, the singular, you know, like it's not just the pastor's ever-present help. It's not just the tech guy's ever-present help. It's our ever-present help to the entire uh, body. And so, in verse 2, we've had this reminder of how strong God is, how secure the Israelites are, how secure we are in God's hands. In verse 2, we're going to start to expound on when we need that strong refuge. And so the author identifies some circumstances where we have to and they have to trust and rest in their God. Verse 2 and 3, we see that there are, are circumstances that are based in nature, right? If we roll back up to that, we see that, that we will not fear. The earth is giving away. The mountains fall into the sea. Uh, the, the, the waters roar and foam. The mountains quake. And yet the refrain is, we will not fear. 
And so earthquakes, raging seas are the examples. These are terrifying events that aren't, aren't in our control. We can't, I mean, we can't really control when an earthquake happens. We can't control when a tsunami happens, right? Uh, and and think, of, think of those things and the destruction that they bring. Throughout history, we've seen, uh, and uh, there's actually a lot of really cool um, tracking through history videos of these things, uh, but there's, there's been tsunamis that are recorded that have stood, when they hit land, over 1,700 feet tall. A disaster like that doesn't cause destruction purely. It just wipes everything off the face of the earth that it hits. Or perhaps think of the city of Pompeii. Volcano blows up, and we have all these artifacts. We can see that there was nothing that they could do to stop it. And yet, we will not fear. The earth around us is not in our control, and it's a dangerous place to be. Yet, we will not fear. So the question here is why? If there's impending disaster, uh, if life is certain to be difficult, why would it be natural? It would certainly be natural to be fearful, but why will we not fear? Why does the psalmist stand firm? And on what? The author knows that creation is terrifying and dangerous because of the power that it holds, but even the earth and the sea and the mountains are created. Surely the Creator holds power over creation. And that's what the psalmist is going to take us back to. So he continues, verses 4 and 5. Verse 4, he, he talks about a river that's flowing through the city of God. And we're, again, we're talking Old Testament, so we're, we're definitely talking Jerusalem here. But the river is the important symbol there. What's a river do? Rivers, rivers have this symbolic function. They, they're there in the text uh, uh, to, to give us this contrast to the sea. So we see a river as a symbol of life, but a sea is a symbol of chaos and danger. So where a river flows, life can flourish. Think about uh, uh, the Nile River, living along the Nile River, where you're going to be able to grow crops. You're going to be able to have the resources you need. But then you've got to think like uh, Apostle Paul at sea. He gets shipwrecked. It's, it's not necessarily the safest place to be. There's a, a contrast between these two things. So after we're given this terrifying image, we're given this, this, this image of life given from God. And so the psalmist wants us to know that even though the world is a terrifying place to be, that God sustains his people because he is the creator of the earth. He's the creator of you and I. And so we move to verse 5. Verse 5 shows this. God is with his people. He is in her. She will not fall. Talking about the city. God is shown to be with Jerusalem. And in verse 1, remember, he was the ever-present help. God is claimed as a refuge, a stronghold. And the reader and the singer are reminded that God is, in fact, the sovereign creator of this world, and therefore he is the one that gives and sustains life. Remember, it says she will not fall. And that's only because of God's hand. God gives the life. God sustains the life. And if this God is present with the Israelites, what can come against them? This is where the author is leading the Israelites. He wants them to have confidence that their God is able to sustain them through what they need here in the, in the present physical life, but more so, he's going to sustain them spiritually with him eternally. Remember, this is a psalm of confidence, right? When we're not sure of what to do, we can sing a psalm of confidence because it instructs us about our God and it praises our God. I would think the best time to sing this would be in a time of difficulty. 
And so verse 6, remember I told you there's the whole palindrome thing. Verse 6 is the center of that palindrome. And it is a clear demonstration of the power of God. We know God's the creator, and we know he's present, but he's powerful. Get this. Verse 6. The nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He, God, lifts his voice, the earth melts. And so some of your translations, and actually the song we sang today might say this, the nations rage, kingdoms fall. And to me, that's probably a little bit more clear. It it gives a little bit better picture of what's really happening here. And so we have a contrast in this center point of the psalm, where it's it's the actions of man contrasted with the actions of God. And so the first line paints paints this picture of the strivings of man, uh, of of trying to sort things out the best as they are able. And and in all of the strivings of men, we might see a kingdom, maybe two, tumble. I mean, we could think about Russia and Ukraine right now, right? Russia's just throwing people into this war. And yet for all of the striving, Ukraine stands. Hmm? All of their striving, maybe, maybe a kingdom will fall. And in, the, in contrast to that, we get the action of God. God simply does what? He speaks. Some translations will say he utters. With a simple word, the earth melts. All of the strivings of man, everything in our power, contrasted with a simple word. The power of God who created all things is infinitely more than that of his creation. And so the rest of the psalm, it works this backwards in reverse order here. Verse 7, it mirrors verse 5. And both of these show God as being present with his people, right? The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so 8 and 9, they, they, they mirror verses 3 and 4, or uh, 2 and 3 actually, where we saw the natural disaster. Instead, in, in verses 8 and 9, we see God's power over humanity, specifically in national and global politics here, right? We see uh, God making wars cease. He's bending the spear, the bow, to his will, And so just as God in the beginning had dominion over nature, he also holds dominion over men and their conflicts. And verse 10 continues this pattern. It mirrors uh, the beginning here. It says this uh, in verse 10. It says, Be still and know that I am God. It continues the sentiment from the beginning, uh, a couple verses here, that we will not fear because we know that our God is a strong refuge, a stronghold in a time of trouble, ever-present with us. So verse 10 gives you that picture of what that's like. A person who knows that God is in control, who knows that God is sovereign, who knows that God's will is good, who delights in God's will, who treasures God's will, his commands, is going is to know that when we, we get to be still, we know that God is God. And that might seem like a redundant statement, but most of the time we don't actually recognize that God is God. I think more often it's, well, God's kind of God. He's only God if I want him to be God. But the truth of the matter is that God is always God, and only God is God. And so because of that, uh, we get to be level-headed when we have these difficulties. We get, to, we get to be able to trust. We get to be able to rest. We get to have this comfort because we know that God is God, God is in control, and God is present, and we can rest in him. And so this leads us to the ending verse, verse 11. 
It serves as our, our final reminder, or perhaps if it's a, remember, a psalm of confidence, maybe this is the final proclamation. And they wrap all of these affirmations, all of these statements about God and their faith in him, they wrap it up in an easy, easy to remember sentence. It says this, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord Almighty, who is sovereign over all creation, is with Israel, is with his people. And there's nothing more beautiful, beautiful for them to rest in. Nothing for us more beautiful to rest in. And to restate that for, for a way that applies to the body of Christ today would say this, God's people, that's us. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, God's people, we can rest in the security he provides because he is sovereign over all creation. And this idea is made clear in the, in the psalm, but evidence of this truth is seen throughout uh, the narrative of scriptures, especially in the story of Israel. Uh, and one of probably the most recalled examples, especially in the Old Testament, is, is God delivering his people through the Red Sea. Okay, and if, if that's been a while, it's in Exodus 14, I won't read the whole thing to you, but God's people are trying to get out of Egypt and they get to the Red Sea and they're there. There's, there's a whole sea in front of them, they can't simply walk across. Um, they're not Jesus, uh, so it's going to be a little bit more difficult. And so they, they need some help here and God delivers them. He parts the water, they go through safely to the other side, and in fact God then uh, uses that to wipe out the uh, Egyptians on their way. Okay, and the, the catch here that I want you to see is at the end of the story. After God delivers his people, verse 31 of chapter 14 says this, And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they put their trust in him and in Moses' his servant. And so when God is active and working, there's a response. So God is here in Exodus demonstrating dominion over both humanity, over the Egyptians, and over nature, over the Red Sea. And likewise, if we go to a couple other examples in Scripture, we can go to 1 Kings chapter 18. This is where Elijah's uh, kind of competing against the prophets of Baal to show them that they're not really worshiping God, right? Uh, they're supposed to call down fire from heaven, and, and he has them pour water over the altar three times. And, and at the end of the story, he's, he calls down uh, fire in the name of the Lord. He says this to, uh, about, to God. He says, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant. And have done all these things at your command. And God delivers. He provides what Elijah is asking. The fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench around the altar. And again, at the end of the story, there's a response. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. God is God. And so God shows his strength in comparison, uh, not just to men, but to the, to the gods that they created. In this case, it's Baal. And so, so far, we've seen him sovereign over nature. We've seen him sovereign over humanity. We've seen him sovereign over the little gods that we create. And those little gods look different today, but they're nonetheless subject, um, nonetheless uh, beneath the God that we serve. Um, and so the last example here is going to be God's sovereignty over the nations, and specifically his nation. We're talking Old Testament here. So 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16 is the transition of, of the kings uh, from Saul to David here. And so this is where God's hand is at work. In 1 Samuel 16, uh, Jesse is supposed to bring all of his sons to Samuel, and he does, and, well, he doesn't. He, he misses one. And so in verse 11 we see, So Samuel asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending to the sheep. 
Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. And so we sent for him and, and had him brought in, and he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. And Samuel went, then went to Ramah, where he continued. And so we see God is establishing nations at his hand, on his terms. And so Saul's reign is going to be over shortly after this, when God says that it's time, but it's not going to happen a second sooner. And here we see God has paved the way, not just to uh, give the nation a leader that he has uh, chosen for them, but if you catch that, it's David, right? We get the line of David, and if you've been in church for any portion of time, you know, through the line of David, we end up at who? Yes. And so not only that, is, is God's sovereignty is extending beyond just that individual moment where Israel has a king. He's taking us all the way through salvation history to where we have a savior. And so... If God is sovereign, if God is this Lord of hosts, where else can people turn to? Where else would the Israelites turn to? Where would we turn to? Who could possibly be a better, more mighty advocate for his people? Is there any other being with this kind of power in all of creation? And of course, these are rhetorical questions, right? The answer is implicit. No, there's not. There's only God. And so the answer is self-evident, both in this psalm, but also in the presentation of Scripture and Scripture's testimony of God. But yet we often try to find something to fill that spot, something to advocate better for us, something to put in the place of God, something else to trust in so that we can have a semblance of control. And for, for some of us, that might be, uh, we, we like to, to uh, and this is, these aren't necessarily implicitly bad things, but when they take the place of God, that's when we start to have the problem. We might draw ourselves to, to, to logic or intellectualism, right? Where we can reason ourselves into the world. We can reason about ourselves. And these aren't, again, necessarily bad, but for some other people, maybe it's money that we're trying to find some sort of control or pleasure, or perhaps the power of self is taking the place of God. And a popular place of trust, even within Christian circles, is placing trust in our own feelings. When in fact our feelings don't determine the course of the world, God does. Many of us have heard the saying, well, you just need to do what you feel is right. And uh, if you, uh, this has been a couple years, but if you uh, went through the book of Judges with us, um, the refrain in the book of Judges is, and the people did what was right in their own eyes, and what spells out after that is disaster after disaster after disaster. And so instead of finding our hope in ourselves, we have this invitation to find our hope in a God who is in control, a God who is present. And some, for some of us, maybe it's when life gets difficult because we do live in a sinful, we live in a broken world. When, some, when life gets difficult, maybe we hope in nothing. Maybe we just get numb to the world, to the pain. Some statistics for you. 109,000 Americans overdosed on drugs in the last year. 95,000 Americans passed away due to alcohol uh, abuse or anything else. That's about 200,000 people in the United States alone passed away because they hope in nothing and they've become numb. And the problem is that, that none of these things, and this isn't a... 
uh, you know, speech about prohibition, because that's not the point here. It's not what I'm saying. But the, the problem is that none of these things, drug, drugs, alcohol, the, the, the value of self, money, pleasure, uh, hedonism, uh, none of those things are what a child of God should be trusting in. God instead has sovereign control, and therefore he is the only one that's worthy of our trust. And so when, the, the word here, calamity from the psalm, but when difficulty strikes, that difficulty needs to be brought to the feet of an almighty God, the Lord of hosts, it calls him, even though our natural human instinct is to be doing anything else other than that. James chapter 4 kind of gives us an insight into this when we talk about uh, our will and God's will here. James chapter 4 verses 13 to 16 says this, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to this city or that city, we're going to spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. And so instead of doing what's right in our own eyes, we need to be walking step by step with a God who is over creation, the God who is the creator. And he is the complete picture of history, past, present, future. He is the the complete picture of salvation. And to work in opposition to God, (laughs) we can all hopefully agree, would be foolish. And so the question here is, well, how does God want us to live? He wants us, in fact, to rest in him to be still and know that he is God. And since God is as strong and sovereign as the psalmist describes, God's people can rest in the refuge he provides. So if this is true, if we're resting in God, if we're resting in his deliverance for us, then we have no need to look anywhere else because God can provide everything that we need. The key word there is need. And so God is a stronghold for his people in a time of trouble, really always. He has proven his care for his people throughout history, throughout salvation history. Even when the Israelites rebel against God, he disciplines them, and sometimes they do suffer, and usually it's, and we suffer sometimes too as a, as a consequence of our own actions, though not everything is that case. Um, even when they suffered, even when God had to discipline them, he is still faithful to the promises he made his people every single time. And so the people who are called children of God here today, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Bible tells us, if you want to check Galatians uh, chapters 4 and 5, we know that we are children of God because we have the Holy Spirit in us. If we are children of God, we have much to be assured of. There's no one else, nothing in creation or anywhere else that is like our God. And so we can rest in knowing that God is God and no one else is. No one else has the power and authority he does. And so this begs the question, where are we looking for help? Are we finding rest in the strength of God or is something else in our life taking priority over him? I think there's something else that needs to be said about this is while we have this hope, and remember, this is, it's an Old Testament psalm, so there is still hope. There is this, still this past record of deliverance, but all of that leads up to the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of who? I'm giving you the Sunday school answers today. Everybody says? Jesus. Jesus. And through Jesus, we have this eternal hope, this eternal security. We can trust in the promises of God. We can trust in God because he is sovereign. We can trust in his securities because not only is he sovereign, but he has given us everything that we need to be secure. He has given us a promise, and that is a sure thing 
that if we trust in the name of Jesus, we are saved. And so this is, our, this is Psalm is a reminder. It's a reminder of God's ability to protect us, to care for his people in all situations as it is accordant, in accordance to his will. And so how can we live without that truth? I couldn't. Being secure in the, in, in the hand of God as a child of God is what gives us such hope. We know exactly where we stand. We know exactly what we're looking forward to. Amen? But we also know that our God is present with us now. We know that he's given us his spirit, and his spirit in us, it leads us, it encourages us, and it transforms us. It transforms us to be more like Christ. If we believe that God is truly powerful, if his promise is secure, it puts our worldly concerns in its rightful place, doesn't it? If we believe that God is truly this powerful, then we can place these things in, in, in the right context. Maybe, maybe the current president or the past president or the one before that or the one before that, maybe they weren't your favorite. And I think uh, we can certainly talk for a while about that. Um, but maybe they weren't your favorite, but do you still believe that God can use the rulers that he puts in place Yes? Do you think that no matter who the leader is, that God can still provide for his people? Maybe, and, and I think when I wrote this, maybe was the wrong word. Um, when we're experiencing loss and we're not sure where to find hope, do you believe that God is sufficient to lead you through a trial like that? Last few years have been crazy. The last few months, last few weeks have been crazy. Um, and I, I remember when the, the stuff in Russia and Ukraine had started. Um, there's a lot of social media going around, uh, specifically when people are evacuating and things like that. And there's this video that, that made its way around. And it shows refugees in Ukraine waiting to leave, waiting to get safe. And what are they doing? They're singing praises to God because nobody else is truly able to save them, to deliver them. And what a beautiful testimony to the character of God, to the sovereignty of God in their lives. And so this, this tells us that the fear of created things has no place because God is a refuge for his people, and that is both now and that is eternal. I can imagine this being used in, in Israel in a similar time, and I can imagine it being used today as we go through difficult situations in life because uh, I think we can all look, look around and we can acknowledge life is difficult and we need a sovereign God. We need a secure God who is the only God. So it's good to be reminded that he is God and he has immense love for his people, and that's where we draw hope from. So I'm going to invite you now. Let's go ahead and stand and as we've, uh, we've discussed this, this hope, this security that we have in God, because he is the one that's in control, he is the one that sustains his people, we're going to turn to him and we're going to praise him for that. There's nothing more fitting for us to do right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, uh, for your word. Uh, we thank you for uh, the psalmists. We thank you for their grasp of, of who you are. God, that you are present, you are strong, you are a refuge, you are powerful. God, that you have created the world, everything in it. You've created us, 
And God, your ways are certainly higher than our ways. And God, when we don't understand what, what is exactly going on, we know that we can trust you because of what we learn through Scripture, because of the hope that you give us, because of the security that you give us. And God, I, I pray for anybody here that does not, does not know you, God, that they'd be looking for you, looking to you to find their hope, to find their salvation, to find a way to navigate the world that we live in. God, I pray that you'd give them boldness to come and speak to uh, any, of, any of us here, any of the staff, any of the uh, volunteers, God, that they would be able to um, make that decision. God, we thank you for the hope that we have. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.